Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Welcome back to Just Schools. I'm really excited for you to hear from Laura Berenger today. She's an author and kindergarten teacher who I've known for over 20 years. Love the wisdom that comes from kindergarten teachers and from people that have taken the time to put their thoughts into a book. I think there's a lot of wisdom here, and I hope you really enjoy this week's episode. All right. Today, we're back with a good friend and longtime educator. It goes all the way back to our overlapping time as educators in the Chicagoland area. I knew her as Miss McKnight. Uh, She now is Laura Beringer, author of The Church Called Tove and a great educator in her own right, a good friend of several members of the Center for School Leadership, including Eric Ellison, who connected us. And so we're excited to talk to her today about some of her work and its overlap with schools as it relates to well-being. So, Laura, great to have you with us. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up writing uh, your book. Thank you so much for having me. Who would have thought I don't know, 25 <laughs> years ago when I came to Mr. Eckert's classroom to do a practicum that we'd be sitting here doing an interview like this. So straight from Emerson Elementary. That's yeah, right. Fifth grade, <laughs> Mr. Eckert. Yeah. So thank you for having me. I have been in the field of education for 20 plus years. I spent a, a good amount of time teaching first graders. I was a gate um, gifted education specialist for a while and most recently moved into a kindergarten classroom, which I never, ever thought I would teach. But bless um, you. <laughs> it perhaps is my favorite grade ever. It's, it's really, wow. That's very special. Um, unlike any other. So I, like I said, I've spent my career in public education and writing a book about abuse in the church is not a path that I ever would have expected or prepared for myself ever. Um, It's a very unlikely story. And by the grace of God, I sit here today um, as an author. And sorry, can you hear my dogs? Oh, not at all. I love okay, that. Good. Okay, okay, this, good. Is the, this is the reality of the Just Schools podcast. We, we welcome dogs. It's fine. Okay, okay. <laughs> They're very excited. A car just pulled up. Um, so at any rate, March 23, 2018, almost five years ago, a story broke here in the Chicago Tribune about my former pastor, Bill Hybels, and he was accused of sexual harassment, power abuse, sexual abuse, and the story unraveled. And and to be honest, that, that evening when that story broke changed the trajectory of the next season of my life. Because I'll tell you why I started reading the article first initially just kind of rolled my eyes and, you know, my husband and I looked at each other and thought, okay, this is ridiculous. He's not, this is not who he is. Well, then we started reading the article and recognized knew the women and knew that this is a problem. This is real. These are not women. These are, these are people of character their sound um, integrity. They're not people looking for attention. This is true. 
And one thing led to the next. And I ended up um, collaborating with my father, who is a, a theologian, New Testament scholar, an author himself, 90 times over, um, helping him write a book together about forming a culture of goodness, one that would resist abuse and instead promote healing for those that have been wounded. And that's really how it all started for me is that evening on March 18, March 23, 2018. Wow. That's uh, when people become real for you, when you realize they're not just a name in an article, but they're people that you know. And that's true for everyone in those stories. There's somebody's daughter, there's somebody's wife, there's somebody's friend, there's somebody's teacher. Um, So there's so much in that, in the book that I think resonates unfortunately, with the experiences of hurt and pain that have happened in churches and the healing that's needed, which I think that's where the hope is in the book. So, I think that there's an honesty to it that's helpful. But I'm curious, as you as you wrote the book, were you thinking about overlapping issues that you see in school since you spent a lot of your professional career there? Uh, where do you see lessons that we can take as educators from a book that started where it did for you that March? All the time. Um, to be honest, because I am an educator and because I spend all day in a public school, as I was writing, that's what I was thinking about 75% of the time. Um, Not only because I've seen examples of power abuse in school, but what I have come to understand and, and just feel to the depths of my soul is that it's about who we are. It's about living as people who are tov, as God designed us to be. And character is what matters most of all. So I think of that all the time as I'm teaching is how can I how can I shine goodness into my classroom in this situation with my colleagues? And obviously I fall short all the time, as we as humans do, but Tov is a master, think of it like a master moral category in the Bible. And what I've just come to understand so deeply, like I said, is that it's about who we are as people. And when we are living Tov, as God designed us to do, the fruits of the Spirit shine through us. We are people who are empathetic. We put people first. And the circle of Tov that we wrote about in the book um, sure, there are traits that resist toxicity in a church, but they're also the ways that we should live as Christians. And when we are, those shine through us. Yeah. So your book, uh, we got to see each other in San Diego and you were sharing with schools there. And I found that to be, it was really well received by the people that I talked to. And this was in the process that I was finalizing the book that I had just, just came out, which is just teaching. And we, we talk about the feedback, engagement, and well-being, not for some students or for all students, but for each student. And what I love about your story is it was the eachness of the people that had been victimized in the church situation that that got through to you. And I think it's maybe why you love teaching kindergarten. You have to talk about that a little bit for me, about why you love kindergarten, because I think kindergarten teachers are up for sainthood in heaven because of the <laughs> amount of patience that required. I will say, though, you all have the best stories always about your kindergartners. Yeah. Um, but that how you get to seeing 
each student and making sure each student is well and that each student is engaged and that you're giving them purpose-driven feedback, not evaluation or judgment or even grades, but you're giving them feedback for growth. Uh, how do you do that in a way that is life-giving for them without completely draining yourself? So maybe talk about Tove as a kindergarten teacher yeah. as it relates to what you do every day for each kid. Yeah. You know, people have asked me, like, how do you do this? How do you see such horrific and hear such horrific stories in the world and then go teach kindergarten? And for me, kindergarten is hope. It's I love disappearing into the world of five-year-olds where they don't care. To them, they are the center of my life at that moment. And I kind of get lost in them and the innocence of childhood. And um, it's all... But, but it's what matters. They matter. And what I have learned and what I try to do and how I try to apply Tove to my classroom is one big thing that's directly applicable, I think, in our circle of Tove is putting people first rather than, and I see this in education and you know the team level at the district level, is rather than putting my lesson or making sure that um, you know my bulletin board looks perfect, or the worksheet gets completed. It's it's about the people. It's about putting it's about putting the children first. That their thoughts and their feelings matter, and they come to school with all sorts of backgrounds, and parents have had fights or whatever. And I want them to feel that they are important, and that they are loved, and that they are safe. And for me, that's 75% of teaching kindergarten. And it's much more academic than I expected. I never expected to teach kindergarten, um, but the academics are surprising. I, my students can read, which is not, it's much more like first grade than I expected. Um, and the academics are there, but if they don't feel important as people and safe in my classroom, that they matter, that they're that they are heard and that they are listened to and that they're valued member of our classroom family, then they're not going to really learn. It it will come when they feel like they've been put first. Right. And what I love about that is their well-being is not separate from their engagement and their feedback wow. because you seeing them is seeing them doing work or becoming who they were created to be is what I, I like to think of that. That's the purpose of our job is to walk alongside them for a while and help them become more of who they were created to be that you're giving them feedback on how they're engaged while taking into account what they're bringing into the classroom, the assets that they bring in and some of the challenges that they bring in and some of the baggage that comes with them. And great teachers do that. And I think kindergarten teachers, I mean, one of the greatest teachers I've ever seen, I don't know if you remember her, she was at Emerson Elementary, it was Nancy Carlson. She was a longtime kindergarten teacher there. She'd been there 30 years. And every year when they do the enormous watermelon play in the fall, it was like it was the first time she'd ever done it. And she'd do it for her morning kindergarten and her afternoon kindergarten because she continued to see that play through the eyes of five-year-olds. And it wasn't her 60th time doing this play, you know, doing it twice a day, twice, twice a year for 30 years. It was the first time they had done it. And so she just maintained this unbelievable perspective because not only did she see each kid, it was like she could see the classroom 
each day through each kid's eyes. And she had more energy than I had as a 20, <laughs> as a 25 year old, because she just fed yeah. on, fed on that. And so I, I think you hit on that really nicely. And, and, and the point that we don't, you know, C.S. Lewis has that great quote, we've never spoken to a mere mortal. Like you're doing this with immortal beings who are five years old on the path to eternity. And you're coming alongside and helping them do that. So uh, why don't you, if you could, sometime, something from this semester or from this year, what's a life-giving moment, uh, a moment where you've seen goodness in your classroom? You're like, yes, that that's why I do what I do. And this is why we have the best job in the world. So can you think of something maybe in the last semester of the year that's like, hey, this was a really life-giving moment for me? I have, I feel like I have life-giving moments every day. Um, but as you were talking, I was thinking of, oh my goodness. So we had the state of Illinois requires, it's a sexual abuse um, awareness program for children. And being what I do on the side, I was like, oh, this will be, you know, this is important and I'm going to take it seriously and I'm going to sit with them and listen and and take their questions, you know. And so the social worker is speaking and talking and she's talking about personal. Um, she wasn't using direct language. So she's talking about a personal space bubble. It, it's going way. It's completely. <laughs> right. Right. And they're like some one of my students was like, well, to be honest, he says, I like when people invade my personal space bubble. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, so this is probably not what she's expecting. And then someone else said, oh, I know what a bad touch is like. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is she going to say? She says, I saw a dead goose on the side of the road. And that, she's really dramatic, is a bad touch. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. A very bad touch. And I was like, I was like, Uh, I love my life right now. This is absolutely hilarious. And, you know, I was trying to explain to her, like, you're going to have to speak in more direct language because they're not, they're not what you're saying but i also love that about them they did not get what she was saying um and i thought who else in who else in like the united states of america is having an experience like i'm having right now <laughs> uh, maybe another but, kindergarten teacher That's i know it. it's so tove for me i find such joy in those unexpected hilarious moments the things that come out of their mouth here i'm thinking you know taking it really seriously like you know, I wrote this book about abuse and awareness at a young age is so important. <laughs> Way over their heads. <laughs> yeah, and, and it and it is important. And and you you know you have this deep concern for a kid who may have already experienced some of that, and you want them. And, and your I, advice, your feedback to the fellow educator, to the social worker is you have to speak in a way they understand because there may be a kid there that you know, violence is being done to that kid, abuse is happening, and they don't, they don't have words for it. And so, I think it's really important, so not to get lost in the humor of their misinterpretation of abstract language, your advice to her is really important because we know this matters. And if we don't communicate effectively, uh, that's going to be a problem. And so, we, and that's where I think your, your role as an educator is vital because you spend every day with them. <laughs> so, you know, when they're not getting it, somebody like me would walk into your class and say, oh yeah, personal space bubble. Yeah, that makes sense because everybody knows what that is. And it's like, no, no, not, not oh, really. Five-year-old, five-year-old right. Don't know. <laughs> right. And so, they, they need that feedback. So, um, I guess my question for you related to that 
and then we'll jump into a lightning round few questions here, but is how do you bring that about with your colleagues? So with your educators, I think sometimes educators are really thoughtful about each student that they serve and they'll extend grace and love and mercy and justice to them, but to their fellow colleagues, they're way more dismissive and they don't extend the same grace they would extend to students. But how do you see that playing out with your colleagues, with administrators and teachers in your building? That's true. And in a public school, I'm reminded I work with, I don't work necessarily with Christians. And so I can't expect everybody to have Christian values. But what I have come to understand is that the leader matters, that I happen to be on a wonderful team with a leader who doesn't get sideswept into gossip, who stays out of the drama of the school. And in so doing, she has led the rest of our team in that direction. And it is, it is a very positive team. And um, I think developing leaders matters because it sets the tone and the culture for the rest. I've been on teams where you feel very dragged down and maybe I don't get sideswept into the gossip, but everybody else is. And it's a waste of time. It's like the meeting after the meeting, you know, that Jack Welch warns about. And um, I might not get involved in it, but everybody else is. And before long, morale is tanking. And um, it's made a big difference to me to encourage the leadership that I see from her and know how much it's, I appreciate it and enjoy being on her team um, because it makes a really big difference. Yeah. And I think it's key as leaders, um, to, I completely agree with what you're saying. The leader has to create respectful spaces for conversation to happen because there are power dynamics in play and we can't ignore that. And if we do, we end up with some of the issues that you describe in your book where abuse can be perpetrated more easily. And so one of the, I have a question related to that. This is a, a, a tangent off what you said. I've become increasingly convinced that it's problematic to talk to adults, especially about creating um, and students for that matter, because this came up in one of my colleagues classes, creating safe spaces for conversations. Because when we say that, for students that are in a vulnerable position, if we want them to share something that is hard, that makes them feel vulnerable, that's never going to feel safe. And so, if you wait and wait and wait for it to feel safe, then you won't share. And so, what I've been pushing is, hey, how do we create respectful spaces that we can be brave and courageous and encourage others to do the same, even when it doesn't feel safe. Um, and so hopefully we create a space that is safe, but it has to be respectful because I think it creates this sense among colleagues and kids that, oh, this doesn't feel safe. I'm not going to say anything. And then by not saying anything, it perpetuates some of the abuses and some of the negative things that we just don't feel like we want to surface. So how do you feel about, how do you talk about that language about safe spaces versus respectful spaces versus it doesn't feel safe, but being vulnerable rarely feels safe. And we have to be vulnerable to build trust. How do you navigate that with kindergartners and with colleagues? Well, so I, I've had experiences with um, school boards that intimidate the leaders under them. And then therefore okay. the leaders under them 
intimidate the teachers. So I've seen buildings, not necessarily worked in them, but seen buildings where people are afraid. They're afraid to talk and they're afraid to resist the system because those above them can just move them, move them to another building or take them out of um, their workplace or um, not rehire them, you know? So it's like sort of like putting my money where my mouth is, is like, that's, it's hard. It's really hard. Um, especially when you don't feel safe, but I feel like, um, I might not have control over what's above me, but I can control and I can provide safety for those under me, which, which are my students. And I try to compliment students when they share their feelings. Like the other day, somebody was feeling, um, well, she was, she was feeling very sad about being interrupted. And she told the class, if this happens again, she says, I'm going to tell Santa on all of you. (laughs) It was like the ultimate, like the ultimate kindergarten threat, but she was very upset and it lasted, you know, for hours. And I I pulled her aside. I said, you know what? I want to tell you that I'm really proud of you for sharing your feelings with us, that it's important to you not to be interrupted. And I feel like conversations like that and just, you know, telling the class, like, I'm, if you interrupt me again, I'm telling Santa, like, that actually provides a safe space where like people can share their feelings. Mm -hmm. So again, I may not have control over what's above me. um, But I can in turn, resist that toxicity within my own classroom community. Yeah. And I love the fact that you're doing that in the power dynamic that you have the power position in. So I think that's key for all leaders. So as a educator and a kindergarten classroom teacher wields a lot of power because what you say is law. I mean, there's a, there's a dynamic there where, Hey, Oh, she's the teacher. And so by you, honoring the courage of a student sharing feelings and doing probably better than I would, I would have probably started laughing because that's legitimately funny, but that might've made the student feel not heard. And she wasn't trying to be funny. That was the biggest threat she could throw down. (laughs) And uh, So I, I love that you were able to navigate that and then do that in a way that creates a space where other kids can see, Oh, yeah, this is hard. This is vulnerable. But if I share this, that's good. And it's going to help the whole community. It's not just going to help me. Uh, so I, I think that's, uh, again, kindergarten teachers have figured out how to help us get along with each other. And I think we could <laughs> still learn a lot from kindergarten. So, okay, lightning round question. I've got four questions for you. Um, so just a word, a phrase, or a sentence roughly, I, I'm fairly liberal with what we accept, expect, but what's the best advice you've ever gotten as an educator? Ooh, the, oh, that's a talk. I've been teaching 20 years. The right? best advice I've ever gotten. You know, I think I'm going to say establish your culture and um, community quickly. Like, let them know immediately that it's a safe place, but there are boundaries and, and communicate clearly what they are and what the consequences are. And if somebody, if, you know, the same little one that threatened us with Santa, the first week of school decided she didn't feel like doing math. And so she hid under her chair there, you know, there's consequences for that and to follow through on them. 
Well, and I would just ask you to clarify one thing. You said it's a safe place, but there are boundaries. I feel like in good classrooms, it's a safe space because there Correct. are boundaries. Yeah. Would you would you agree with that? One hundred percent. Kids like boundaries. They yes. like they like to have consequences. They like to know that there are boundaries and consequences. It right. makes them feel safe. The best kindergarten classes I've been in, in the best classrooms I've been in anywhere, the boundaries are clear. Here's here's what we reward. Here's what diminishes community. And here are the consequences when that happens. And so it's it makes for a much safer. And it's true of any work environment too. We, we need boundaries. We want freedom within parameters. I mean, that's the whole point of, I think that's a very biblical approach to how we do things. All right. Worst advice you've ever received in education. Oh, worst advice. Ho- hopefully it didn't come from me in your it practicum. It came from Mr. Eckert. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Fifth grade. No. <laughs> um, worst advice I've ever received. Oh, wow. That's a really hard one. I've been in really good schools with really good educators. I don't know that I've ever gotten really bad advice. Wow. Um, It might be maybe more related to colleagues. Like um, if I had approached a principal with a concern and there wasn't follow through with it, um, it might be more in line with that. Like, how to how to um if i didn't agree with the way another teacher was handling something and it was affecting one of my students how to handle that situation with a colleague that's good yeah no i think a lot of times we figured out some of the school the kid related things but i think sometimes yeah. the schools were pretty bad at how we navigate colleagues so i would i would imagine there's been some there's, well there's some, there's power dynamics in yeah. schools yes and Sometimes the people who have power are not tove people, and and right. that can that can be really difficult. What am right. I going to do about this as a Christian? How right. am I going to stand up for my student? Right, right. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing educators currently? Okay, I'm just gonna be really honest. I feel like teaching has changed a lot. I remember you know, 20 years ago when I started teaching and I would say, all right, boys and girls, we're going to transition, whatever. Everyone come to the carpet for whatever story time, whatever. And everyone just came to the carpet. Okay. Now, if I say everyone come to the carpet, nobody here, maybe one or two, I have to do like play music and a song and a dance and visual cues. And I don't, I don't know what it is, but kids have, I think they view authority differently and what the teacher says doesn't necessarily mean like I have to do it right away. And over time I can establish that, but initially you're like, what is going on? Why are, why are, you know, why why isn't anyone coming to the carpet? Like it's not, it's not how it used to be. Kids Mm. have changed. Mm. Is that particularly since COVID or was that really just happening and maybe got accelerated by COVID? I started noticing it before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. But now I play a doorbell sound and everybody knows it's time to clean up. And But I didn't used to have to do like a song and a dance to get a transition going. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. But uh, we're hearing that all over the place. And, really? and nobody's, nobody's saying that it's new since COVID. No. They're saying that some of it was accelerated because kids got out of the habits and some of the social interactions changed where they got isolated and got used to kind of independent screen time. And then if, if kindergarten teachers don't write this ship, then it gets passed along. So we have, <laughs> we have third grade teachers who have kids in some parts of the country that are seeing kids that are really like they've maybe just finished kindergarten school-wise and they haven't yeah. been in school for a couple of years and then they're back. And it's, so they're having to do all that over again because they haven't had people like you teaching kids and trying to help them understand how these transitions help us function. Last question. What's your greatest hope for education right now? I love the combination of Tove with education. I would love to see colleges train, not just a teacher, how to educate children, but prepare character in teachers because your character is the is your culture. That is the culture of your classroom is your character. And your classroom culture is your character. So I would love to see some sort of character development training Tove goodness work at the university level so that when educators step into schools, that they're people of goodness. And that shines through their character and their interactions with not just their students, but colleagues too. That's so good. You, you, I, you almost were quoting Parker Palmer from the courage to teach good teaching cannot be reduced to technique. It comes from the identity and integrity of the teacher. And so that's always been my hope is that I keep pouring into educators because that's the greatest school level factor influencing kids education. We have that in research and we know it just anecdotally. I want my kids to have kindergarten with, with you. I don't, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want them with somebody else who doesn't think about them as whole human beings and that you're going to pour into in this way that uh, Tove calls us to. So, Hey, I, I really appreciate your time. I know you've got to get to uh, another event, but thank you for taking the time with us today. Thank you. It was really fun to be with you, Mr. Eckert. <laughs> Thank you, Miss <Ms>. McKnight. <laughs> you have to love a teacher that can describe a student who invokes the name of Santa as their arbiter of justice. And I just love the way Laura thinks about teaching and justice as it relates to our students and to our profession and to the way we live out our vocation. I hope you all have a great week in the profession that makes all others possible. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership. Join us for our Just Schools Academy this June, where we will use Dr. Eckert's book, Just Teaching, to do better work together.